Hey, this is Patrick with the Mad Bros Media Zoom Podcast, the latest medium in the Mad Bros Media Saga. For the next two hours, we will be chatting with a very special guest, actor, writer, artiste, Larry Hankin, an actor you may have seen on Seinfeld, Friends, Breaking Bad, Barry, and many more. He's here to come chat with us. Let's have a listen. Hey, this is Patrick with the Mad Bros Media Zoo show and podcast. And here's David with us and our very special guest, Larry Hankin. Yay! Ooh. All right. Hooray! Legendary. Legendary right. Larry Hankin. How are you doing? Well, so, so far, okay. Like I told you before, I, I'm, uh, I'm sequestered in place. You know, I'm just, I don't know. Well, what state are you guys in? We're in Washington State. Washington. I see you on the West Coast. So yeah, you're, you're kind of. Or Tacoma. If, you, if, you're, if you know Washington, it's like Tacoma, Seattle. Um, yeah, but I mean, how, how is the, um, the sequestering? How is the, the COVID-19? How are you guys doing up there? We've been, we've been secluded. I mean, it's been all right. I mean, everybody I know haven't got it yet, so it's that's a pretty good. Okay, thing. well that's pretty good. Me, yeah. you know, me too. I'm, I just live in a uh, section uh, of LA where I guess you know I don't. Uh, I know I, I know two people who had it and got better. Mm-hmm. So that's, but it's got that's that close. Yeah. Uh, how's yeah, the? I know there? I know a few people too. Yeah. What? Excuse me? How's the weather over there right now? Oh, well, it's it's cold. You know, I guess it's the same up there. Yeah, well, it's we got a ton of snow the last couple of days. Oh, no, no. We don't have any yeah. snow. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very Holy cow, man. We could. We could. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. So, I don't care. Uh, I'm sequestered. I don't go out. Uh, well, except for, you know, it gets... Yeah, flies. that's what we do, too. I, I work, <laughs> and then I come home, and I don't do anything, so... Um, but but the the upside is I wrote two screenplays. Oh, good, semester. cool. Yeah. What, what are they about? Uh, one's a uh, what did I just I had a really great description of it. One is a well, it's a thriller. It's a comedy thriller, uh, and the other one is you know it's, uh, a, a, in one house. You know, it's like a low budget. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is, uh, but it's it's good. I'd like to be in it. Uh, and the other one is a, it's a bigger movie. It's a, a road. It's a road comedy. Okay. But basically, it's Don Quixote on a motorcycle. Oh, sweet! Is that the Emmett you're talking about? Yeah, it's the outlaw. Oh, cool. It's called the outlaw. Cool. Yeah, so. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. It, uh, I tell you, I, I had locked myself in for a year, man. Oh, wow. But, but the, it was the COVID. So, I mean, yeah. I, I didn't miss anything. Uh, and, you know, you got Zoom. Yeah. Thank is, God, because we were like, oh, what are we going to do? We're going to just uh, sit and maybe just go back through our old footage and kind of recut it? Or... Yeah. I mean, you, you don't know... Uh, Zoom is very, it's frustrating. It's very, yeah, it is. Not you, there, you know? Yeah. Uh, you, well, I, I didn't want to do the shows live and put them on because if something happens, I think, like, oh, because I had a friend who did that and kept, his stuff kept cutting off. So, oh, really? Wow. Yeah. 
And he was doing the last yeah. week. The last bastion is, you know, you, well, at least we got Zoom. If you don't yeah. have Zoom, man, you're, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, may you live in the best of times. Yeah. I mean, or no, may you live in interesting times. I guess this is about as interesting as, as I want to get, you know? Yeah. I, okay, my curiosity has been sated. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's it. Okay. No more. No more. Cool. So uh, let's see here. We got a ton of questions. Do you want to start, David? Or do you want me to ask? You go ahead. You go ahead. You go ahead. All right. Uh, let's see here. Has there been someone in your life who you has influenced you the most? And if so, how? Influenced me most? Yeah. Wow, man. I guess I, in, in, a, in a very... Strange way. Well, two, two, two people. Let me see. My grandfather. Um, my, uh, Bob Dylan and Alan Meyerson. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, Bob Dylan, just because of his, his, his music and stuff like that. And, and uh, I really, you know, didn't like him when he first came out, you know, when I couldn't listen to him. It was too, uh, my ears weren't used to it. I, I come from a very protected family. I mean, no curiosity, no intellectual curiosity, no, you know, very right wing. It's crazy. My entire, this is really weird. It has nothing to do with politics. It's just a weird happening. Is that everybody in my uh, all my relatives, including my parents, are all right-wingers, man, ever since I've been a kid. I mean, it's not like it happened yesterday. Mm. The entire relatives, I'm the only one who kind of stepped out of the pol political spectrum. Uh, so that's just really a, a weird fact. That I, how did I escape? I don't, I don't, but I did escape. I mean, mm. that, that, that's, that's true. I escaped. Uh, so, uh, that probably influenced me in some way, just the, all, the, all the relatives and Alan Meyerson, uh, and also I, I wanted to be a writer and, and Dylan. And when I was a stand-up comedian mm -hmm. back in the day, when I first got out of college and I didn't want to do anything. So I just went to village to the, to Greenwich village with, um, my best friend in college who was, uh, Carl Gottlieb mm -hmm. who wrote Jaws later to write Jaws. We didn't know it at the time. But um, he, yeah, so oh, I, I guess Carl, Carl is a big, because he was the one who convinced me don't go to Detroit and design cars for hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> uh, well, not hundreds, but a lot of money. Yeah. More money than, well, I ever saw in college. <laughs> and, and until I got into, you know, uh, Escape from Alcatraz, that was the most money ever offered wow. to me ever. But he said, no, let's go, to, let's go to Greenwich Village and just starve. And I thought, cool, man. <laughs> ah, youth, ah, youth. But I was just trying to escape from everything. I was just trying to, I, I just, just want to shut the world down or, or away. I mean, I just, so I, I went to Greenwich Village with him. That's how I got into show business. Mm -hmm. So he really did influence Carl Gottlieb. I would give it to him. And then uh, I joined, um, I was doing stand up and stuff like that. So uh, the next person would be 
uh, Alan Meyerson. And I was writing, I was writing at the time, but like secretly, I, I would do my stand-up stuff in coffee houses. That's how I grew up to be in show business. Uh, coffee houses. And I didn't know it, but years later when I was in the committee and we were a big hit show, this is years and years later, we were a big hit show and people coming up, driving up from Hollywood to, to see this big, funny show that was like Second City, only very close. Um, and um, Dylan came to see the show because he was playing in Berkeley. So he came mm -hmm. uh, just with his... Uh, Road manager, that was all. No, ent no entourage. Uh, and he wanted to talk to me. I, I, I don't know. I didn't even know. Yeah, he knew I existed uh. even. You know, he wanted to talk to me. And he said, you know, he had read something. Somebody gave, uh, yeah. Somebody gave him a poem. A long, long, long poem that I wrote mm. uh, in my spare time. And he thought it was really cool. And he wanted me to write a, a, a music video for him. Oh, wow. Well, it, it, didn't, it didn't happen. I, I did the music video for The Love and Spoonful instead. But, but just Bob Dylan asking me to do something for him, to write something for him, really influenced me. Wow. You know, who am I that he, you know, he said. And, and I, so I asked him, uh, you know, what? How do you even know I exist? I guess you saw me in the show because you're here, you're in your plan Berkeley, but I mean, uh, you, you seem to have referenced something in Greenwich Village and how, how you know, what was that all about? I, yes, I was in Greenwich Village. I didn't want to tell him that in Greenwich Village, I, people would bring me to see him because mm -hmm. he was in Greenwich Village too. You know, we were all, everybody's unknown. Yeah. But him, I walked out on because I couldn't stand this. I didn't, oh, I didn't get it, man. I yeah. just, his, his voice, his playing, his words, I, you know. Later, I came to go, wow, man, this guy is really cool, you know. Oh, yeah. So I, I was very, so that, the, the impression, the being impressed by him, it, it influenced me in a really weird way. I mean, it had nothing to do with show business. It just, I guess I was worthy that, that this guy that I looked up to, as a writer, mm. wanted me to write something for him. So I, that, more than the audiences, you know, hey, or, or laughing at me, uh -huh. with me. Yeah. With me, I happen to. Uh, you know, it, it, it meant something. Uh -huh. You know, wait a minute, I should, I, you know, I, I, sh I should keep going, I'm doing good. If that guy likes me, probably other guys would too. So, you know, so Carl and Alan Meyerson and, uh, and, and BD, Bob, uh, this, those, those three kind of, and then the other artists of, of the day. Oh yeah. I was just thinking, you know, you're talking about the, the screenplay and then you're talking about Dylan wanted you to. Yeah, you wanted me to write something like Maybe that you should too. ask him to be part of that movie. Say that again? I said, since Dylan wanted you to do something for him and you got that new script, maybe you can get a hold of him and ask him to be oh, part no, of Oh, no, I movie. have that. I mean, that happened. Uh, he probably has even forgotten the movie. Oh, for, yeah. <laughs> that happened when I was, you know, like 18 or 17. or Yeah, yeah but I'm pretty sure he probably seen your work, too. Now. Oh, I'm, I, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I, mean, like, I wouldn't know how to get in touch with him. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to sell these screenplays. You know, yeah. So I'm, I'm in Hollywood. Uh, I have a reputation, you know, as an uh -huh. actor. 
So, you know, people assume that I have contacts, uh. but um, I dropped out about five years ago to, to, to write the screenplay and, and, mm. and make my own things. I wanted to get it out of my head, all this stuff that had built up. I wanted to write. So then I had saved up enough money where I, I could, okay, goodbye. I'm going to just do my own thing now. Mm-hmm. So that was five years ago, and, uh, and the two screenplays were part of the plan. I mean, it just happened mm-hmm. to be sequestered, but I was going to write them anyway. I mean, uh, and I made films during those five years. I made uh, five films, film shorts, and they went around the world. They got uh, prizes. Mm-hmm. And then I got an Academy Award nomination for one of them. So, you know, I was doing okay, um, but... My point being that with all that notoriety, being mm-hmm. an actor and getting the nomination and stuff, it's still because I was gone for five years. Mm. Hollywood has changed me. Everybody I knew is either gone or doing something else or dead or uh, you can't get through. And because of the COVID thing, everybody's sequestered and working from home. Yeah. So all the offices, you know, William Morris and blah, 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 Every uh, you can't get a hold of them because the building is shut down. There's nobody in the buildings. Yeah, so they're all on. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, get in touch with my secretary. And then the secretary is un- inundated with. Here's what I. Here's what digital has done to Hollywood. To Hollywood, you can't get through because with digital, everybody's on Zoom or internet or. So the entire world, the planet Earth, is now writing screenplays and sending them to Hollywood. So everybody's writing a screenplay and sending them. So they're inundated. So they've shut down. It's like it's like a walled city. They're, you know, like like the Jews on top of the mountain, man. The, I don't, what do you call that when you just. Uh, won't let anybody else in. Yeah, they're just so overwhelmed, right? Yeah. Totally overwhelmed. So even I, who know one or two people, you can't get through, man. It's just because because nobody else, I maybe I I don't know why, but but everybody is sequestered. The entire world is under this fame. So they have all all they gotta do is all they want to do is write screenplays, I guess. So and and, the, and here's the downside of that. You think, well, they they would be getting great screenplays. They got everything to everything to pick from. No, nobody knows the proper form except anybody within the United States and within California and within Hollywood. They know the proper form of what a screenplay looks like. Well, the people who have green lights. They now are refusing to read anything that is not in the exact proper for, format, it's called, mm. format. And, and if it's not, and I've, I've experienced this because I had scripts sent back to me. Well, we kind of, the reader would say, well, it's kind of good. I, I, I kind of like it, but the format is all wrong. So I'm not going to hand this in. So don't send it back to me. Well, there goes one. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but I have a connection. Too bad. The format's bad. Mm-hmm. And don't and and the, the the writer and don't send it back to me, even if you correct it. The format. Don't send it back to me. 
You get one read, that's it. And nobody has the right format. I'm telling you, they're down to like typos, man. Mm-hmm. You have too many typos, they will not read it. The, the reader will not hand it in because he'll get creamed for it. The, the saying is, you know, if you're working, if you have a job in Hollywood already, like you're a reader, it's best to say no and you'll keep your job. So just say no and you got, you got a paycheck every week. So it's really, it's, it's a, a, you know, what is it, a, a conundrum, conundrum. It's a conundrum. Yeah. It's a box yeah. within a box within a box within a, some Mark Twain said, or some, yeah. some famous purpose person said. So yeah, it's very, it's very frustrating. I mean, I've got like a couple of connections I can get it through, but then there's a waiting line. Okay, I finally got through. Yeah, well, we'll read it. We'll tell you in about four months, okay? Wow, man. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. Crazy. But I think that's how business is. It's not just um, Hollywood and, and writers or the movies. I think it's... Oh, yeah. You know, it's just anything, any any business. It's everybody sequestered or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was gonna say. Um, well, he's. Yeah, you see what's going on? Yeah, I know. I was like, what the heck? All right. Oh hold on. no. Or, or oh, no. did I take acid? Oh, no. Did somebody? No, 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 no. Oh. No. <laughs> no. He just went off the air. He, there's a, um, a oh, sign. It says wow. Mad Brothers on it. Oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. In the backpack? There he is. There you go. Okay. Okay. He changed cameras. or, or Yeah, I think, it, I think yeah. that camera's a little off. I got to fix it probably. But this one's okay. Just, oh, okay. Yeah. All cool. right. Continue. Oh, nice, nice backup plan. <laughs> I was finished. Yeah. I was yeah. finished. I was kind of liking yeah. the, the acid trip yeah. for a second there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say, just getting back to what you're saying about starting out and stuff, I want to talk about earlier things, like even going back to, uh, if you can remember, we wanted to ask you what, how it was like being on the Janet Jackson video. Did they did they ask you to do any dancing or did they, they just want to do background or did they, they actually ask you to dance beforehand too? <laughs> um, no, that happened in a really very weird way. I mean, nothing like you would ever or I would ever expect. No, I made my own film short. As a matter of fact, the film short that I was shooting called Sally's Diner, um, I needed a, you know, you need the whole array of people who make movies. You know, you need a costume person, you need makeup people, you need a cameraman. So, you know, you just send out the word to friends because I didn't have a lot of money. So you just, you know, hey, you know anybody who... So uh, the costume lady, uh, the costume girl at the time, I guess, you know, she's a young, young, young woman. Uh, she did the, the costumes for, for Sally's Diner, which got an Academy Award. That, that was the one that got the Academy Award nomination, not an award, a nomination. But the costume lady, uh, uh, about six months later, um, we had just finished it and nothing was going on. Uh, the costume lady called me and said, hey, I'm doing a Janet Jackson video. Uh, I'm doing the costumes for Janet Jackson uh, and they need somebody to stand behind the counter, you know, just to, just to fill in. You're not going to do anything. You just, I don't know, make a soda for her or something. I don't know. It's nothing, <laughs> but you get a paycheck. Yeah. That, that was the important. Yeah. 
It's just, you know, you come in and you stand over there. That was all. So I said, fine, I'd like to meet Janice Jackson and I need the money. So yeah, and it was, you know, in, in, in Hollywood. So I went and um, they just had me stand behind the counter, but I guess the cameraman, um, I never, I, I think I said to Janet, I think my entire conversation was, well, where, where do you want me to stand? And I think she said, <laughs> I don't, don't ask me, ask the director. Okay. Cool. Oh. So that was it. That's my entire, you know, uh, but, but the entire family came down, all the, 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 the brothers, all of her wow. brothers, except for Michael. He didn't show up. Uh -huh. We were all, he was supposed to show up. He was, yeah. Because that was the one thing that the big, big takeaway from that experience, even though, you know, I was just there. Uh, and, and they just hung together and I never talked to them. They, you know, they just hung back. But, but every time Janet was on, they clapped and yeah, go Jan Janet. Yeah. The, the, the family response to each other was really great. You wanted to have a family like that. If you had to do something or perform, mm -hmm. you wanted your family mm -hmm. there to, you know, be in your corner and man, were they, that was amazing. No wonder they were so good at what they did. I mean, they were all going, yeah, Janet, go, yeah. You know, every time they, the, the camera, the director yelled, cut. They go, yeah, hey, Janet, great, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, <laughs> you know, if I, come with me. I want you by my, when I do my stuff, you know. That was me, I just blew my mind, I thought. Yeah. That's the way. Now, I also hear their father was like a martinet. He was like nuts, man, he's beating them up. So between the two, yeah. I guess that's why they were so great. You know, the, all of them. Yeah. You know, they were either cheered beyond their wildest dreams or just beat to death. So they had yeah. to be good. But that was <laughs> I, my experience. That's, uh, that's my takeaway. I rewatched it last night. I saw you do some ad lib stuff. Like there's a scene where she's dancing and you're behind. You're like wiping down the, uh, the, cake, the cake holder with a glass. And then you open it up the container and you start whopping down the cake and then you put your finger and taste of the cake and then wow you were watching wow yeah. well i guess you knew that i was going to be on the show yeah is that yeah yeah i went back yeah. we, we make a watch a bunch of stuff well, that was one of the was... things i was looking at all your stuff you were, you were doing all kinds of ad-lib stuff so if you uh, watch the yeah, video we're... again yeah you'll see yourself doing a bunch of stuff while uh, janet's in front of you dancing yeah they um as i remember I was just standing there. I mean, I mean mm. it was her show. I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. You know? I mean, just, but, um, oh, <coughs> excuse me. Whew. Bless you. Um, Bless uh, you. The director didn't want me just standing back there. So he said, you know, do do something. You know, I mm. mean, move around. Or do, don't yeah. just stand there. Uh, so he liked what I was doing. So I said, is that okay? He said, yeah, do whatever you want. I mean, he saw that I knew what I was doing. Once he, he let me go, he's, you know, that I was, I was a professional, you know. So he mm -hmm. let me ad lib back there, you know. So I was just doing whatever came to mind. I was in the committee uh -huh. for years. I was an improv improviser, you know. I was in Second City and, and the committee. Both were big hit shows. So I could improvise back there. And then I was just happy to be getting a check, really a paycheck. I mean, you know, I was starving back then. When, when they ask, when you do these roles, all these kind of roles, do they just let you do your own thing or they say, oh, <laughs> this is what they want you to do? 
<laughs> no. A lot of times it looks like it's ad lib and it's really great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, after a while, they just let me go. But mm -hmm. because I, I happened to be doing the right thing, my, my instincts were correct. But in the beginning, are you kidding? Because I come from improv. I mean, that's all I know how to do. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know how to memorize lines. What the hell is that all about? It's a lot of work. Being an actor is, you know, you think, wow, man, you're on the screen, you got all these fans, you're getting a million dollars a minute. No, it's nothing like that. It's all hype, man. It's a job. It's a job like, you know, being a typist or a, unless you're a star. But you know how many stars are in Hollywood? Yeah. I mean, uh, okay, let me put it this way. You know, the percentage of stars to actors. <laughs> it's like yeah, unfathomable or infathomable. I don't know what the word. I mean, you know, there's maybe... Oh, let's say a thousand stars. Uh, when I say stars, I mean someone who can carry a movie. If you get that person in the movie, you can make the movie. You get the money for the movie because of that person. Maybe there's a thousand. There's a hundred thousand actors out here. You know, and you're going to auditions and you're getting callbacks. And I'm, I'm telling you the downside because nobody talks about the downside. Well, how did you get the, you know, uh, what were you thinking when you were doing the part and stuff like that? It's all after the fact. After you've, you know, driven a hundred miles doing auditions for like three weeks and, you know, finally get one and you're thanking God you can pay the rent. You know, after all that, yeah, then, then you... And then you do that for a couple of months. Yeah, then they, I say, can I change this word? No, you say it the way it is, you know, because you're nobody. And then one day, you know, hey, man, I just, can I say this? They go, yeah, sure, say whatever you want. What happened? You know, all of a sudden, the sky opened up. Uh, but, but that's <laughs> after all this drudgery and stuff. And then they go, oh, yeah, you want to do that? And then every once in a while, I'll say, well, don't. But at least... They talk to you like a human being, you know, you discuss it. Well, I don't know. Or maybe try it. No, that's later. That's that's when you're established. But in the beginning, it's just a crapshoot, man. It's and it's not it's not fun. And that's why you have to have fire in your belly, man, or forget it. You know, there's enough actors. There's enough actors to keep going for years. If, no, if there was never another person who wanted to be an actor, Hollywood would do fine without you, <laughs> without me, <laughs> without anybody else. So that's, I discourage people from becoming actors because it's heartbreaking. It really is. So you got to have fire in your belly. You got to want it, man. And you got to go through some shit. Mm -hmm. but it, and then... You might, you might make it. And there's a lot of dreams that are, are crushed. I just, I never hear, the reason I'm telling you this is because I never hear anybody talk about this. This is like a verboten subject. Like, you know, like, like you can't say this word. You can't say that like word. taboo or something. You can't tell. What? It's like, like taboo. taboo. It's taboo to oh, talk yeah. about. <laughs> uh, nobody wants to talk about it. I've, I've seen interviewers interviewing actors about their craft. Well, it's a, it remains about the craft, about going to school, you know, acting school and learning this and that. 
and that's that's what they talk about. And then they, well, how did you? What's the backstory of that role? And they talk about that. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's no downside to talking about the backstory or learning the craft. Mm -hmm. But nobody tells you about the drudgery, the going out to the valley and driving. I auditioned for. I auditioned for uh, Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. uh, that's like, now, I'm, this is not my words, but these are words told to me. This is an iconic role, you know, Tom Pepper. I auditioned five times for that thing. I was the only guy who looked anywhere near what Michael Richards looked like. There was a fat, short, bald, mustache, bearded people. Uh, you know, actors, people, actors, <laughs> auditioning for that. You know, five times, and it's supposed to pay you after three times, it's supposed to pay you. Not much, but they're supposed to pay you mm -hmm. if you audition more than three times. They never even brought it up, you know. Mm -hmm. And they had me, do, you know, come through the door again. Come through the door like Michael Richards. Come through the door like Michael Richards. You know, five times, man. Nobody talks about that. How many times did you audition for it? You know, how, how, how hard did you beg for this role? You know, yeah, I, I stopped calling it auditioning. I called it begging. Well, I'm going to go beg for a role now. I'll be back. I'll see you in a while. Uh, yeah. And then once you get over that, that hump, mm -hmm. and where you, oh, okay, we trust this guy. We've seen him in a couple of things. He knows what he's doing. He, you know, he hits his mark. He, he doesn't step out of his light. Do you remember what I, I remember? So he, he knows what he's doing. Okay, he can, you can change that word. You can improvise in the background for, you know, for, for uh, Janet Jackson, that video, I was nobody, you know, I, this is the beginning uh, of my career. I, I, I was maybe in Hollywood for maybe a year, but I was nobody, I was nobody. But on the set of Janet Jackson's video, where they cast, they had a lot enough money, Janet Jackson did, to pay the, the crew, the, the, the people who were going to make the movie, the cinematographer, the costume. Thing. But every, everybody else was just like me. I mean, you know, they're just extras, dancers, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, no, I... I, I um, I, I couldn't change anything. It was just after I had done some shooting where the director was watching the framing and he was seeing this guy in the background there. No, he seems to know what he was, he's doing. So, you know, when I asked him, I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, well, do anything you want. You know, that was like, wow, the first time somebody gave me permission, but it wasn't a Hollywood thing. It was, a, you know, they didn't even think Janet Jackson, it, it would go very far. I mean, the people making it, you know, they had done tons of uh, videos for, you know, big stars. You know, well, you know, Paul, Paul Abdul's in that video too, but you have more time on that video than she does. Yeah. See, see, yeah. So blah, blah, blah. But then one day, you know, you just go up and say, can I do this? And they go, Oh, sure. And you, Oh, I've made it. I got over the hump now. And then it's what you think. And it's what you guys know. You know, hey, it's fun. It's you're getting a lot of money. You can say what you want, and then and then later on, yeah, then you guys see it and you think, I 
guy's cool. He's improvising back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I had to go through, you know, the hump. <laughs> uh, you were talking about, um, like, after that hump and then the actors that can carry movies. There's a lot of great actors still in Hollywood now, like, you know, Pacino, De Niro. They're kind of getting, you know, to their end, you know, getting towards older do you feel like there's um, maybe some of the, there's a, been a decline in quality of actors? I mean, like I said, there's still a lot of great actors in Hollywood, but do you think there's been a little bit of a decline over the years, you know, from the years of like Brando and James Dean and like the past years and like John Wayne, like Cary Grant, like, you think there's been a little bit of a decline in quality or it's, you know, I mean, like you said, there's, there's always, Hollywood's always going to make movies, but you think there's been a little bit of a decline? Okay, I, I see where I see what you're, you're saying. It's back in the day what you're talking about. They were they were iconic because they were sold as icons. They were not real. You, you know, uh, Lee yeah. Marvin or or Marlon Brando. Marlon uh, Brando broke broke out. He broke the wall, the, the, the third wall, the fourth wall, the wall between the audience yeah. and the actor. He broke that. He became a human being. You know, he would, he would get, or, or um, who's the other guy? Uh, a couple of them, you know, got drunk or got high or got in jail. It broke that m- magic mirror, that <coughs> magic glass. And all of a sudden, oh, my God, the guy got busted. He's a human being. He's, look, look at him. He's got a beard. He's all, you know, he's, he's fucked up. They're real. But before that, no, it would be squelched in the press. You know, uh, Deanna Durbin or, you know, all those pretty women or Lucille Ball or whatever. And the guys, too. I mean, I mean the, they had enough power. The publicity department in, of movies had enough power to shut it down. No, you can't put that story out about him being busted or her being busted or the divorce or whatever. So he remains, they remain in your minds as icons. They were faces on a screen. They were black and white. I mean, there was no reality to it at all. You were sold as a commodity like, like, like soap. And then all of a sudden, you know, color came and reality came and, and, and we wanted to know what, what you're like in real life and, they went along with it. So now you're used to it. So now they're not icons. They're just human beings like the rest of us. And so you don't, you don't have the same awe. They don't inspire the awe that these people who are shielded from any kind of bad publicity, they're all perfect and made up and they were sold. They were, they were sold. So that's, that's in your mind. They were human beings the stars now are human beings. It's just the way they were packaged and sold made it in the public's mind as, ah, but now (laughs) they're just real people. But no, it's it's the same, you know, I mean, you gotta, you gotta sell pizzas, man. You gotta get eyeballs (laughs) and assholes onto the seats. That's it. (laughs) Don't give me any bullshit. Uh, And that's all they care about. And now because of digital and also because of sequestration, you want some humanity. I mean, all, all the 
all the movies now are aimed towards realness. You know, what do they call it in, in Puch? You know what? And I, I, my, my parents used to have friends in the, in the garment district downtown. They're, they're all pretty yeah. much Jewish. So they talked about yeah. Puch. And Puch means yeah. feel, it feels real. Like if you got a yeah. suit, they, they would go <laughs> like yeah. this. They're, yeah, it's something, oh, something nice concrete. Con you know, good, good expensive material. Yeah. Something so, concrete, not superficial, right? Something concrete, not... Now, not nowadays, they want to see sweat. They want to see, yeah. you know, underwear. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, even though it's no, a, a naked body, frontal, full frontal, nah, who cares? I want to see, you know, what's the, what's the backstory? What's the emotion here? You know, yeah. nitty gritty. Yeah. yeah. But... It's they're they're the same people, just they're so different, you know. And it kind of it it, it kind of riles me a little. But he said the business. It's like that in any any business now. <laughs> I think we want to talk to you now about something we've been wanting to talk to about since we knew you were coming on the show. There's a picture back here. I don't know if you can see right here. We want to talk to you about the Mummy yeah. Daddy. Do you remember that episode in Amazing Stories? The Mummy Daddy. Oh, Amazing oh, Stories. Oh, um, the Mummy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was um, it like working on the set with Brian James and Tracy Walter, and that whole experience? See, that, that, uh, I either well, Tracy Walter uh, is it, it, cool to work with. He's, uh, a, he's a good guy. We, we were we were friends for a little while. I haven't seen him in years. Mm -hmm. But but back then he was uh, to me. See that he was an icon to me, mm. because he did the parts I wanted to do. So that's why I liked working with him. And and he was uh, very friendly and, and a, pardon me, a good guy to work with. Uh, I mean, some actors are just. I mean, like Brian. Uh, so, but but again, I was that was a way in the beginning. Uh, so I was in awe of everything, or mm. or I was uh, stumped and. But by what was going on, I, I, I never wanted to be an actor ever. Mm -hmm. To this day, I don't want to be an actor. Uh, I, I, it's the, the money is good. I have fun in front of the camera, and then when they let you improvise or not, not fully improvise, but loosen up. You know, just get a little looser. You know, that's that's good and that's fun. And then I go, well, I'm earning my money, and I feel good about what I did. But back then, uh, no, I was still trying to get over the hump. So mm. I, I wasn't paying attention to who I was working with. I was just trying to do my job and hit my light. Not, I was trying to not get fired. No. That's what I was trying to do. So I, I, whatever was going on or whoever I was working with, had, I was trying to remember, remember my lines. I, I'm dyslexic. I have ADHD. I have OCD. Uh, so I have to pay attention when I get on the set. Because I'm distracted. I mean, it took me not years, but a long time to just forget about everybody standing around and the lights and the camera. I was an improviser. Uh -huh. You know, I, we had nothing. You get up on the stage and you make up everything. You make up the sky. You make so, and then all of a sudden, these lights and all this, and this hubbub and the importance. Mm. Nothing was important in improv. Yeah, you fuck up, well, you just keep on going. Somebody else will come in with a good line. Maybe, you know, maybe your screw up 
turned turned it into a, a very funny piece of business. You know, it, it, it's all right now. But you know, I'm surrounded by these lights, and everybody's getting paid more money than me. You know, and I don't, you know, stand over there, okay, and should I improvise? Hey, what are you doing? Why don't do that? And you get a lot of that. Hey, stop that. What, what are you doing? What are you doing? Now, the opposite of that was when I was okay, like when I did Escape from Alcatraz, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with uh, two icons, two huge people, Clint Eastwood and Don Siegel, the director, who you don't know, I mean, you know, personally, maybe you see his name, but you don't know what, who, who is that? You never saw him before. But he directed all of the stars of black and white movies that you guys have grew up on, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was filled with awe. And, and he kept on saying also, hey, Larry, what, Larry come here. He would stop a, a, a scene in the middle. You know, Clint Eastwood and the, and, and the star, the, um, the other guy, uh, who is the, the warden. Patrick McGoohan. a close-up, you know. And they were, they're facing this way, you know, mm. side view, profile. Mm. They're talking close up. So uh, Don Siegel says, hey, Larry, come here. So, I mean, he was treating me not like in the beginning. He was treating me like a buddy, you know, like, hey, we're all here making a movie. See, that's what happens. That's what happens when you're accepted. You don't have to be paid a lot of money. But if you know what you're doing and they understand that you know how movies are made, what the procedure is, the stations of the cross, who's high, who's low. If you know all that stuff, you got it all and just part of you. Then, then it's just guys making movies and girls and women making movies. It's just people making movies. That's, and that's, that's the best of it. It's we're all here and we're making a movie. So you would say like this big who I began with is I was in awe of Clint Eastwood and Don Siegel. And they would Mm. say by the second, I was there for three months Mm. every day. Uh, So in the middle of the shoot, you know, you go, uh, we're on Alcatraz. They go, Don Siegel, hey, Larry, come here. You know, just like that. Nobody talks to you like that when you're in the hump. Hey, Larry, come here. Get in the scene there. What, what, what do you want me to do? You know, I, I just get in the scene. You know, I got the, the, two, the two stars here. They're, they're facing each other. I got a hole in the middle of the screen here. And there's a cell. They're, they're on the C, C tier, you know, with the ramp, you know, long mm-hmm. thing in the cells. So he says, and they're facing into the cell. So they were like this. They're standing on the tier talking like this. He says, there's nobody in the cell. Get in the cell there. So what do you want me to do? I don't give up. Like it's just I need somebody in the cell. It's empty, you know. Get in there. <laughs> they're talking to you like that. It's like we're making a movie, you know. Hey, there's a hole here. Get out. We need somebody. Larry, get in there. What do you want me to do? I don't care. Get in there. Okay. So I said, how much time do you have before I before you start to shoot? He said, I don't know. You got about four minutes. Why? Okay. So I run to the uh, the uh, prop prop table. I mean, we're on Alcatraz, isn't there? You know, they just have to ship everything in. So you got a big table with a lot of uh, Alcatraz props, you know, handcuffs, billy clubs, mops, checkerboards, decks of cards. So I said, yeah, 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 give me a checkerboard. Give me a checkerboard. What do you want a checkerboard for? I don't, I, I, he wants me in a cell. I, I want to just be doing something. I don't just want to sit there. Just give me a checkerboard and some checkers. We don't have a checkerboard and checkerboard. Well, what do you got? I got a chessboard. Give me a chessboard. It doesn't matter. Give me a chessboard. Give me the chessboard. Okay. I got only three minutes. Give me, give me. He gives me a chessboard. I run in. I go back in the 
thing. I set it up. Okay, Larry, and he uses Okay, he goes to me. Larry, you ready? Yeah, yeah, just a second. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm ready. I mean, you know, this is, you know, for, for yeah, what? I don't know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 million dollar movie. You know, but uh, all these little TV things that I was doing while I was in the hump, you know, what are you doing here? Stop that. Go away. You know, boom. Here, the billions of dollars. You know, what, what are you doing, Larry? I need a couple of seconds. Okay, give me a couple of seconds. He's just setting up. I don't know what he's So I go, bah, 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 bah. in the middle of the, the thing, he goes, uh, okay, they're talking, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there with the chest thing. He goes, cut. Larry, what are you doing? I'm, I'm playing checkers. Come here, come here. Everybody hold it. I want to talk to Larry. Now, there's two stars standing there. Don Siegel wants to talk to me. This guy in the background is doing nothing. Come here. What are you doing? I'm, I'm playing checkers. What are you, I, I won't do it. No, 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 no. I want to know what you're doing. That's all. What are you doing? I'm playing checkers. Larry, you got a chessboard. How are you playing checkers with a chessboard? So I said to him, and, and this is true, I said, no, no, Charlie Butts, that was my character, mm. Charlie Butts doesn't know how to play chess. He knows how to play checkers. But the Alcatraz uh, department of games doesn't have a checkerboard. Uh, they ha only have a chessboard. So Charlie Butts doesn't know how to play chess, so he's playing checkers with a chessboard. That's what you're doing? Well, that's what Charlie Butts is doing. Okay. So I, I can stop it. I, I don't have to do that. No, no. No, no. I just wanted to know what you were doing, Larry. Go back and do it. Go, go, go. And he's, okay, you ready, Larry? Yeah. Okay, shoot it. Now, if you watch the scene... They're talking, and I'm playing chess with a checkerboard. I'm playing checkers with a checkerboard in the background. Who cares? Who knew about that? Who even watched that? They're watching Tuesday. But that's the difference between the hump and being accepted. Yeah. One is you, what the fuck? You know, you get, you know, I'll fire you if you do that. And this, which, and, and neither Clint nor the warden or the star, they're both. Didn't care a whit about what was going on. They had to stand there, you know, just looking at each other while Don Siegel talks to the guy in the cell about what is a checkerboard, who's playing chess and who's playing checkers. And they're, they're waiting. And they did it uh, with aplomb. In other words, oh, this is making movies. This is what happens when you make a movie. People ask <laughs> questions. People are, you know. But if you're in the hump, if you're in the hump, no, that doesn't happen. You, you're, you're, you're nothing, <laughs> and you're you're angry. You're standing around angry because you're nothing. So that, and and you've got to just accept the whole thing. It's it's the weirdest gig I've ever had, man. And I've had a lot of well, not that many, but I've had a lot of gigs. Oh, you got, I mean, I you used got to a lot. swab decks, you know, in a bar from 2 a.m. till 6 a.m. in Greenwich Village, you know, for nothing. For, you know, if I never see another peanut shell in my life, God, I never want to. <laughs> you know, just cleaning up a bar from 2 to 6 in the morning. You know, to being with 
Clint Eastwood and I, come here, Larry, what are you doing? You know, and they're standing around, these two major stars. So you just go along with it until you can't take it anymore. <laughs> Do you have any conversations with Clint? Like after the... Yeah, we talk all the time, man. I mean, uh, three months, it, it, you know, the awe. See, that's the great thing about human beings. And I guess it's about any other biological... I guess it's even a blade of grass. After a while, you get used to it and you drop this uh, point of view you have. You know... Oh, blade of grass goes, oh, all of a sudden it's cold. What the fuck? And then, you know, after a couple of years, oh, I see. It changes. Well, I just got to go with the change. It's summer, it's winter. Oh, I'm a blade of grass. And then they get used to it. And now you got good, strong grass that grows in any kind of weather. Well, the same thing with, you know, you just get used to it, man. I was in awe of Clint and, and uh, Don in the beginning. Was, wow, man, you know, I was afraid of being, you know, screwing up. And, and they liked what I was doing because I was using it. You know, my, 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 what am I doing? It was like being in high school, you know, and being a freshman and I was a tall, gawky kid. So I thought, oh, well, I'm, I'm a prisoner in Alcatraz. I'm Charlie Butts and everybody else is tough in, in Alcatraz. And I was put there, or Charlie Watts was put there. Uh, he, 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 I don't know why he either tried to escape a lot. I mean, this is the real, these were real people in, in Escape from Out There. So Charlie Butts was a real guy uh, uh, who was left behind by the escapers. Uh, he, um, he didn't belong there. He was put there for a different reason than the other guys in, in reality. So he wasn't a murderer or a, a guy with a gun. He was a check forger or something like that, but they put him there for punishment. You know, oh, you think you're a wise guy, huh? Okay, get in there. So he was lived in fear the, most of the time he was there. So um, I used my fear of high school for Charlie Butts as a fear of Alcatraz because it, it kind of fit. So all my mistakes or all my fear, Larry's fear, read for Charlie Butts. So they thought, oh, this guy's a good actor. No, I was just frightened. <laughs> I just didn't know what to do. But after a couple of weeks, it all went away. I wasn't, you know, I was just another guy. And, and then we were all 200, even the, the, the um, convicts, the, 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 the day players. The two, there was 200 guys who just were the convicts. They're just background. All of us. Don Siegel, Clint Eastwood, me and 200 other peoples and all the other actors and actresses in the thing, there weren't many, were just making a movie. No, there was no hierarchy. The only one who, who, who held onto the hierarchy of stardom was the warden who never came out on the set. Clint never went into the dressing room. He hung out with the, with the extras. He would eat with them. So I hung out with Clint. So I would eat with the extras. Mm. So I, I was getting the best of both worlds. I was kind of an extra. I mean, I wasn't, but I would eat with them because the stars generally in all the things I've, they always eat with the, the, uh, the director, the producer and the cinematographer would sit at one table and then everybody else would sit at the other table. And that's how it goes. You know, cause I guess they're, they're talking about the next shot. They're, they're talking business. So they have to sit together. It's not like they're shunning people. It's just business. 
but in, in this instance, Clint, Clint always ate with the guys, you know. So I would, so he would talk to me, but he, he liked me. They, they liked me. That was the thing. I had never been liked before, as, as a, just as a guy, as a, as, a, as a buddy, as one of the guys, one of the guys. Uh, so, you know, they were, hey, Larry, come here. Or, they would always call me by name. They're like, not hey, you, or get over here. Or, they would always talk to me like a human being. But, you know, you have to have, you know, at least 70, 80 million dollars to make a movie before you get relaxed enough to talk to people like they're human beings, not bark at them. <laughs> I mean, uh, the great ones are great. John Houston, Larry David, uh, John Hughes. These are, you know, they're human beings a priori. They're human beings in front. There's certain directors who they're great because one of the things, I mean, they're great because they're great, but, and, but they all have certain things are the same. And one of them is they were all more like your grandfather than your director. They, they, they treat you like human beings. They thought about things in human scale. Uh, Larry David is great. I mean, he had his own quirky craziness. Yeah. But but he always respected that I had some talent if if he could relax me enough to get it out of me. And and so he would go at you know all the directors, the great ones, would but the best way to get anything out of anybody is to treat them like a human being. And they and the great ones know that in front. It's just wonderful to work with them because just even being there in around to see somebody, you know, um, at the top of their game, being totally professional and just a real cool guy, man. Uh, who's it? the guy who directed uh, Transformers? That guy, Michael uh, Bay. Michael Bay. Michael. Yeah. Now he, he's also like that. Uh, but he's a wonder. He's a wunderkind, because he was—he's the the youngest, amazing director I'd ever worked with. Because uh, he was—he was younger than all the other. The others were, uh, you know, 40, 40 or fifty above. But he was uh, when I worked with him. When did I work with him? Oh, on—I um, can't, can't remember. It was a very small movie. I, I don't remember the name of it. it. Didn't do very well. He only got twenty thousand. He only got he only got twenty million dollars. I mean, because the Transformers things were like a hundred million dollars each. So, but but he acted like he had a hundred million dollars. But he was also nice. I sat next to him the whole time, uh, and I just would ask him, well, what, "What are you doing?" And he would explain to me. I said, no, "Why are you doing this?" And he go, "Well, just beautiful." He said a great thing that influenced me. He just said, "It's all music, Larry." all music he said what i'm trying to do because he kept on shooting the same scene over and over again with uh that weightlifter guy uh he's a big fam most famous star in the world right Schwarzenegger? now oh Dwayne rock the rock oh, Dwayne rock the rock the rock yeah yeah so my scenes were with the rock so i i really like him he he's another guy who's just yeah. a human yeah. being that's i guess i know what i know what movie you're talking about it had mark Wahlberg too right yes 
No, no. Uh, oh, yes. I don't know. I don't remember. I, I wasn't in the whole movie. So. Uh, I know what movie you're talking about. I can't remember the name, but I know what movie you're talking about. Okay, so, so he, I yeah. was sitting next to him, and he keeps on shooting the same thing. It was a scene where The Rock came up to this church. I played the priest in the church, a gay priest. And he, and it was just an opening scene of Rock, uh, not opening scene of the movie, but opening scene of, of Rock. The whole movie took place where Rock was working for, for, for food in the church. He wasn't a member. He was just working as a janitor or something like that. So this is the first time he sees the church. So you got a picture of the church and then uh, Rock walks into frame. He walks into frame. And then, but the camera, I guess the camera was moving. Camera was moving and then he walks into frame and then maybe it moves in like that. It's a moving shot moving camera shot and he kept on I'm sitting next to him and he kept on she said no okay let's do it again do it again it's a, it's a long shot you know very long shot do it again so about the fifth or sixth time because I just sat there silently I'm, I'm trying to figure out okay let me figure out what's going on here why is he I, I don't see any mistake that's that's I couldn't so I finally said after about the seventh time I got no, what, what are you what are you trying to do I, I don't i don't see any mistakes he said it's all music larry it's all music and that that was all he said and then he would do it again and now i was listening with music in my head i'm thinking okay there's a beat there's a, a there's a rhythm to this and then i noticed yeah he would hit this and then that and then that, in other words, every move had a beat to it. And then the camera, or, you know, one, two, three, four. It was like that. And I go, oh, there's a rhythm to it. Oh, yeah, but, but he was like a human being. I could sit next to him. And then he, uh, or uh, at one point, I was, the producer was over here. And I was in between them. <laughs> it's, it's a small thing, but it was interesting. Producers over here. Now, I didn't want to get too close to the director. I didn't want to disturb him, you know, so, like this, you know, about that far away. The producer takes his directing chair and puts it next to me. So there's two guys and then there's the director. And I'm kind of leaning because I want to hear what he says to the cinematographer, the camera operator, leaning in like this. And then he turns to me, he says, well, move it closer then. That's all he said. So he said, just move it. So I moved my chair closer. So I mean, you know, what director does that? You know, yeah. oh, you, you want to hear what I'm saying? Move it closer. It, it blew my mind. Oh, okay. So then I, you know, we were friends, you know. I, or, or like I asked him when I, my, my first time with uh, The Rock, he goes, uh, I, I open a door. He goes around to the side from that shot because I was waiting to go on. That's why I was on the set. So he, go, he walks around the side and then there's a door. He knocks on the door and I open the door. That's my entrance. So he shot, he sets this up, knocks on the door. I open the door, you know, hi, oh, come on in. And then he says, um, don't, don't open the door all the way. Open it, open it just like this. I go, okay, okay. So... Um, I go, you know, like that. She says, no, no, it's since you're opening it too much. You know, I wanted to get on camera. Mm. <laughs> you know, I wanted to, hi, how are you? 
No, no. <laughs> so again, he kept on doing it smaller and smaller. Now I had other scenes, so it's not like you know it's the only shot. So I guess he didn't. And see, I didn't understand that. That you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing in this scene. You've got other scenes. Don't blow it all in you know one thing. You know, just calm down, Larry. So I'm going like that. And then finally he said, no, just open it a little, man, just like this. And I go, I don't understand the motivation. Do I, I go over to him? I said, well, why am I doing that? I mean, why, why is it just like that? Because the camera was outside, you know, as it was. He goes, it's a blue door, Larry. Don't you like that blue? You know, you open it up, you can't see the blue. <laughs> it's just, you mean you're shooting the door, not me? He goes, yeah. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> but but that's, you know, because I didn't understand, you know, and then when. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's stuff like that you learn and because I'm very naive. I, I really am. I'm just like a, you know, if, if I see this as a learning experience, I really do. And it, it's like, a, it's, not, it's not even a habit. It's like, it's ingrown into me is that if I, if I see this as a learning experience, I try to learn. So I drop all pretense. I just go, okay, I'm, I'm seven, you know, you know, okay, what is this? You know, I'm just give it to me. I just want to get it in there and then I'll figure out how to access it later, but I just want to get it all crazy. So you talk about um, your love for uh, ad-libbing and then you were in Second City and a, a bunch of people that um, are on SNL, they come from Second City. Have, did you ever audition for uh, for Saturday Night Live? Uh, no, I, I, I don't I don't think Saturday Night Live is funny, frankly. I just, I never, I mean, I wanted to be on it because you, oh, if I can get on there, I'd be famous. You know, that was, but I, I never, because I never wanted to be an actor. I, I, in other words, you have to have a drive towards something to be successful at it. You just can't, you know, oh, I think I'll go on Saturday Night Live. I was never driven to, to be there. I mean, I met Belushi uh, because uh, they threw a party. So we're all invited to a party backstage for one, one night. I don't know. I don't know who, who I was or who I was with or how I got there. But I was an actor, and they say, "Hey, there's a thing up there. Let's upstairs go. Let's go." So there was like all the SNL people, Belushi and Ackroyd, and, and Belushi was just now. See, there's a guy who wanted it. Now this is before he was to, uh, John, uh, John Belushi, before he was famous. He, he had just gotten on the show. I think it was maybe their first year, so they had a party for the opening of the second year, whatever it was. And he stood out. I mean, he wasn't, I, I'd seen him on TV. I'd watched Saturday Night Live. I was in the committee. We were checking out all the funny people. And John Belushi was funny. Checked them out. You know, I said, oh, oh well, I'll get to meet John Belushi. Let me see what that's like. Then we went to the party and John Belushi was there and he was talking to everybody, man. He just came up to me. He was rapping with me. He was rapping. And I thought, well, yeah, you're, you're okay. I know you, you're John Belushi. I mean, this is what I was thinking, but I can see why you're famous. I mean, he was just fucking driven, man. I mean, you could just see it. It was, I, 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 
Uh, so I obviously he was, well, not obviously, I, I'm assuming, because that's what entered my mind. Well, well, he's on cocaine right now. I mean, that's what I thought. But yeah. even if he wasn't, or he was, I, I never found out. I didn't care. This guy's going somewhere. <laughs> he will not be stopped. That's, that's my, that my, my, my review of meeting John Belushi. <laughs> Get out of his way. That was all I was thinking. I just saw uh, the documentary on him, and yeah, you're exactly right. He was so passionate and driven in the beginning, and yeah. then it just started to die down afterwards, like toward the last year. Well, you know, he, that's he not the same thing. He wasn't with, passionate uh, as he was in the beginning. Oh, the same thing with Elvis. You know, I mean, hey, you start taking a lot of drugs, and it starts to wear you down. You you uh, you got a lot of energy in you, you know, if you're healthy. And then you start doing drugs, they're feeding off that energy. The drugs are using that energy to get you high. I mean, in, in a chemical way. But they're using up the chemicals that are getting that are getting you healthy high. And and they're feeding off of that. They are like um, marijuana, which is a, a harmless drugs. I mean, I smoke. I, you know, you can get it. You can buy it. Yeah. But it burns vitamin C. I mean. That's just LSD burns vitamin C and a couple of other vitamins. I mean, they use it. <laughs> you think drugs are just... It's just... So after you know, a couple of years, you're, you're drained. Every mouthful you take of food is going to feed the drugs, not you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to keep them powerful. Keep the drugs keeping you high. Uh, but people don't think about that. You know, the, the lucky thing about me and the committee, all of us in the committee, was there was a doctor. I mean, we were in the center of the 60s. Everybody was over overdosing on every kind of drugs you could think of. Uh, but there was a doctor who was a doctor uh, in, the, in, the, in the daily newspaper. There was a doctor who gave you drug uh, um advice you know if you're high uh, if you, you know like flashbacks for lsd or heroin or cocaine if you take too much of that i mean you're gonna get sick or fucked up man yeah so and i, I you know like I, in the 60s I, I was not innocent I, I did as much as i could get in me but i started to see what what the drain where the drain was happening and and as soon, because there's one thing I revered was performing, whether it's in a movie or on stage. No, that was my passion. In front of an audience or a camera, you know, I light up. I mean, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. It's just, that's what happens. Uh, and I saw that it was starting to uh, affect my performance. And it just had to happen once. It had to happen once. I just got high and screwed up on stage. And then I just tried it once more uh, on the Smothers, uh, on the, the Playboy Club television show. My friends brought some hash in. I'd never done hash and I'd never gotten high except once in the committee and then I never did it again. In performance, it, it just affects my performance in a bad way. It, so I just, you know, if you affects my performance and forget it. And then on the Playboy Club, all my friends came to see me on the Playboy Club TV show in the green room. And then I thought, oh, well, this is what rock and roll is all about. I was thinking, 
oh, you know, your friends come and you get high in the dressing room and then you go out and perform. And that's this fantasy I had because it was, you know, Hugh Hefner and the Smothers Brothers were on and me. And so they gave me some hash and I'm in the, in the, in the green room smoking hash. You know, the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, really, I've done some stupid things. But to smoke a lot of hash before you went on television uh, in front of Hugh Hefner uh, and, and Tommy Smothers. Well, you know, I, I totally screwed up. I mean, I, I blew the, I was on the, the reason I was on the Playboy Club was I was on the Playboy Club circuit. I was opening for big acts. So that's a lot of money. And you're just a stand-up. And I was a young kid, you know. It was great. And then they invited me on the TV show. And I got hash. And I did it on the TV show. And that, boom. Hefner just cut me off the rest of the tour of, of the playbook. So that cost wow. me. But, and Tommy Smothers came into my dressing room after the show. Because I, I, I had 10 minutes. They gave me 10 minutes to do my shtick. You just sat on the couch and Hugh Hefner would throw you leading questions to feed you into your next bit. He would say, well, what about this? You know, and you go, well. So there was the Playboy Club. There was me, Tommy Smothers, his brother Smothers, Hugh Hefner. On this side was uh, two Playboy bunnies and another guest. And so Hugh was interviewing me. He interviewed us. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, Larry, okay. And I knew I had 10 minutes to do my shtick. Hey, Larry, I lasted for a minute and a half or two minutes, I think. And then, he, oh, well, thank you very much, Larry. And Smothers, the Smothers Brothers, was do, tried to do my act for me. He said, well, well, what about this, Larry? And I would go, um, well, you know, it's like, um, and Tommy would just cut in and say, well, what he means to say is, and he would do my bit. He would do the bit that was set up for me to do. He had memorized it. Tommy uh, had memorized it. And uh, he did it, and, but it was too late. I mean, I could see Hugh Hefner, so I was totally fucked up. Mm. He said, thank you very much, Larry. I go into my dressing room. The guy goes, what the fuck, man? They were watching. They say, you didn't do anything, man. They just skipped over you. You know, completely jumping over the fact that I was high on camera. And you could see my eyes were all red. And then, and then Tommy Smothers comes in, he goes, oh, oh, Tommy, I, what the fuck did you do? And he just read the riot act to me. You fucking, you were totally fucking fucked up. You were so high, man. You know, he, you blew it, man. We were talking you up backstage and before the show. You know, we were talking you up. You're a funny guy. Don't you ever do that. It was like my father, man. And, but it, it sunk in. I, ne I never, after that. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I, I would get high, but never in preparation or in performance, you know, it just doesn't work for me. Other guys can do it. I mean, especially the rock and roll bands, but that's funny me. too. Cause they were, they were like real high, real uh, big pot smokers too. Yeah. That's what so I thought. Like, that's what I thought. You? you know, but, but not for my comedy. I, yeah. and, and I know other comedians who would get high, mm. you know, smoke, smoke my joint. I mean, I'm not talking about heavy stuff, but yeah. I'm talking about marijuana. Oh, and because I guess hash is even stronger than marijuana, but it's mm. not like heroin or coke. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that much about it. All I know is that 
uh, yeah, some comedians can do it. Uh, the bands can do it. I can't. For what I, I think because of the dyslexia and the uh, the OCD and the ADHD. I mean, I just got too many too many wires across in here. I mean, you cross another wire and it just. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I mean, there's certain things you can do, certain things you can't do. Know the difference and you'll, you'll be cool if you know the difference. So on that one thing, and, and you know, you just uh, like you don't curse in church or you know, to your mom. Mm. You know, you just don't, don't do it. Well, it it's, that's all. Or do it after the show. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I was looking at some of your interviews online yesterday and the day before. Now, did you have a bad experience with Adam Sandler or you just didn't like him? <laughs> I, because you were saying how, how wasn't exciting Billy Madison was or the, the, his performance. Well, we were both young. Let me put uh -huh. it that way. <laughs> I mean, we, we had just two different ideas. We, uh -huh. we still do have two different ideas of what comedy is. The same thing with Michael Richards. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, he's a funny guy. Adam's a funny guy. I'm a funny guy. Just three different funnies. Uh, I, I don't, you know, we never, uh, Adam was just young and he was full of himself. Uh -huh. And I just didn't buy it. So I, I just didn't want to have anything to do with him. And he was, and he was doing stupid things, you know, stupid, childish, you know, grade school humor. I mean, there was a grade school movie. I mean, all the kids in grade school watched it. Yeah. I still get fans. I go, you know, oh man, I saw you in, you know, uh, Billy Madison, man. That was so cool. And my, I only have one question for, for these fans, for Adam's fans, mm -hmm. when they say that. You saw me in uh, Billy Madison? Yeah, man, that was so cool, man. How many times did you see it? Oh man, it must have been like a hundred times easy. Right. All of them. How many times did you see the movie? 75 times, man. I grew up on it. Wow. So Adam, Adam knows his, his fans, his fan base. They're not my fan base. <laughs> I mean, I, I opened for Love and Spoonful. Uh, I, I opened for, well, I opened for Love and Spoonful. They were my fan base. I opened for Woody Allen, not my fan base. Mm -hmm. uh, I opened for uh, a Kingston Trio, not mm -hmm. my fan base. Opened for Miles Davis, my fan base. Uh, <laughs> opened for Love and Spoonful, my fan base. Opened for the Blues Project, my fan. Mm -hmm. Adam Sandler, no. So we didn't get along, but, and here's the big but. Yeah, so in those days, I had nothing to do with him. And whatever he told me to do, I didn't want to do. That laugh that I do, I didn't want to do it. The mouse. He, yeah, the mouse. Yeah. I didn't want to do that. He sucked me in. He suckered me into it. Mm. I didn't want to do it. And I only did one take. He did that in the middle of the scene. He said, hey, Larry, in the middle of, a sh of the shoot on the first take, he goes, uh, do the mouse thing. And it was because I didn't know I was young. I didn't understand that you could do another take. I mean, I, I just, so I just did the laugh because I thought, oh my God, the camera is rolling. I can't stop. Which of course you can. You know, years later, I was doing it all the time. 
I didn't, so I did the laugh, and I hated it. I, I did that laugh in public school, and maybe in high school. And then I, I stopped. It's a silly thing. But all his fans come up to me, hey, do that laugh. I said, I'm sorry, my doctor won't allow me to do it. If I do it, I'll, I'll die. Heart attack. Sorry. So, yeah, I have my own lines. <laughs> no, I go with this far, no further. No. Um, but the same thing with a lot with uh, Michael Richards. I um, we we did a, a sitcom together long before Seinfeld was a twinkle in anybody's eye. Uh, we were brothers. We played brothers, so we knew each other before Seinfeld ever came. So we did brothers, and then we had this one scene where we robbed a. Uh, we had two scenes together. One where we robbed a a, <clears throat> a diner. The name of the sitcom was the name of the diner. It was a restaurant, a restaurant sitcom. Mm -hmm. We robbed the place. And that went great. And, and we were brothers, so we looked like brothers, so we're fine. But then we had to escape in a truck. So it was just on the set with a green screen behind us. You're just driving, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, we had time to rehearse without the director. So we were rehearsing the scene and what he wanted to do, which he thought was funny, and what I wanted to do, which I thought was funny. No, I said, no, no, you say this and then I'll say that and then I'll do this and you do that. If you can do this, then I'll do that. No, no, you do this. And that. So there's these two really funny comedians arguing angrily about what's funny. I, I just wanted to have a recording of that argument it, it, it must have been just ridiculous, man. No, this is funny. No, and then you do that. No. So when the director came, finally said, did you guys work out anything? <laughs> uh, we both said, well, yeah, but... And trying to show him what we had worked out, which didn't work at all. He said, look, let's just do the lines as is, okay? Let's just... No, no shtick. No, just do it straight, okay? So we just did it neither way. We just did it the right way. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, but that, that happens. I mean, it's really funny what egos pop up when a camera with film in it shows up. <laughs> All of a sudden, everybody, yeah. everybody is a director. That's why I like directors. Uh, actors are too... Including me. I mean, once once you're an actor, you you got the disease. I mean, on the set, mm. it, it's once you walk into where the lighting is and the camera is and the director is and the other actors are, you're you're under the spell of whatever spell you have chosen to use in this situation. But in that magic circle of where the scene is going to happen and they're going to film it that's like a different reality than once you step outside the circle, you know, in other words, here I'm fine and blah, 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 blah. In there, I'm all ego, you know, <laughs> just all of a sudden, all of a sudden, hey man, don't tell me what to fucking say. You know, <laughs> oh yeah, well, let's try it out. Sure. You know, hey man, no, I don't want to do it that way. You know, I mean, those are the things that I see in acting that it just blow my mind because nobody ever talks about those. Like, for instance, um, okay, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's do the scene. Okay, boom. Okay, when, you, when I say this and you say that, why didn't you do this? Hey, man, 
You just take care of your own fucking uh, character, okay? I'll take care of mine. You take care of yours, okay? Okay. Yeah, hey, that was a good scene, right? Wasn't it? That's really cool, yeah. It's <laughs> just do, 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 do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a psychotic, it's a psychosis. Have you ever seen, uh, have you ever been like maybe doing a scene or maybe seen something on set to where maybe two actors in a scene like what they like what they're doing, but then the director's like, no, I don't want you to do that, do this. Has that ever um, happened? No, the directors don't talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they uh, because they'll get fired. No. You know, they got, even if it's not a scene with a star in it, if there's a star over there, they'll, they'll talk. They, who, who's, what is he talking to? You know, as long as they're not involved, they'll protect other actors. You know, hey, why are you talking to that actor like that? Don't, don't, don't say, you know, they're, no, so they get heat from, from, you know, from people behind them, not from people in front of the camera. So, but, but, but you're right. Uh, they'll just say, uh, don't do that. You know, don't do that. Or um, let, let's try something else. Or let's, let's, um, let's, let's take a different tack. You know, they, they, they finesse it into, you know, because I mean, they're, they're dealing with egos. They are dealing with ego. Directors understand that, even if you're the worst director in the world. And you have to, uh, you know, modify it, you know, massage it or something like that. So um, anger on a set is, is like verboten. I've never been on a set where somebody was actually, um, and even as, as angry, you weren't that angry, but even that angry. It, it's a very incredibly social uh, atmosphere on the set. You have to be. I mean, there's so many different jobs. It, it is it, it is amazing. You know, you got one kind of crew, you got another kind of crew, you got the camera crew, you got the director's crew, you got the uh, costume people, you got the makeup people, and they all have different jobs and different reasons for being there at different moments in the shoot. And, and then you got the, uh, the script people, and then you got the assistants and the ADs, and, and everybody is doing something different at a different time. And then they got to shut down for, okay, quiet on the set, we're going to shoot it. And then they got the egos in the, in the, on the floor. That's what they call it, on the floor. That's, that's a circle of, <laughs> I don't know, talent, or I don't know what, but it's a circle. And you're outside the circle or you're inside the circle. And there's different things apply to outside. Now, I'm breaking it down like crazy. Like, you know, if, if you're a young kid thinking of being an actor and you know, what the fuck is all this shit he's talking about? I'm going to acting school. They're not talking about this. They're talking about backstory, you know. But, you know, it's just little things you pick up over years and years of being on the set and noticing this and that. And I want to make films not be in films. I want to make films and that's being in it too, but I want to write it and direct it and do the whole thing. So I am particularly aware of all these levels because that's what the director has to know is when to tell the crew to get away and when the crew to come back in, you know, plus the actors and, and you, and you, the director has a story that he's trying to tell with all these people. You know, even a small set has at least a hundred people. 
you know, it's, you know even the shadows are in other rooms preparing shit. Mm. And he's got a story that he's got to keep in mind that is attached by little pieces of film that have got to look this way and start this way and, and end that way because it's got to hook up to where this one starts and that one ends. And maybe you shoot this one in July and this one in December. <laughs> you know, it's uh, hairy <laughs> being a director. Yeah. So that, that's what fills my, my day. This observe, I didn't know I know all this stuff that I'm telling you until I told you. But, you know, so when you go on the set, depending on what you want to be or what you want to do, you absorb that which will help you later on. You know, if you're just an actor and you want to be a star, pardon me, a star, then you're on the set absorbing every other actor and especially the actors who are better than you and finding out, you know, well, what do they do before they go on? And each actor does something different. What their preparation is. I'm not looking at that at all. It was the last thing I was looking at is how actors prepare before going in front of the camera. Because I was looking at, well, what is the director doing? How, what, how, what is he saying to the cameraman? What, what is the, how did the writer get to this particular point of me saying this? You know, and then after a while, after a couple of months, you start saying, well, well that actor is preparing that way. This actor doesn't prepare at all. You start, so after a couple of years, I have all this information that I didn't know I was picking up on. And then you guys start asking me questions. And I'm going, I've never talked about this stuff on interviews, you know. That's so, good. You know, that's good. good that on is, you. That's, but, we, wanted, we want to have, we want you to have, like talk about something fresh, you know, not run of the mill. Yeah. Stuff. So, but time. I didn't know, I didn't know I knew any of the things I just told you, but it's true. But I, I guess I was absorbing, man, you know. Yeah. Is there a, is there someone that you, is there some, when you, if you watch movie, I don't know how much movies you watch these days, maybe being, you know, stuck inside more so now, but is there, is there anyone like this, day, these days that you're like, you see them on screen since you've been in industry so long that you see them on in movies or whatever. And you're like, wow, this person, you know, male or female, I, yeah, I, I did. they're doing it. They're doing it right. They're doing it good. I mean, is there anyone that you look at and you're like, wow, they're doing it great. Apatow. Apatow? Going away right right now. I mean, there's others, but right this second, Apatow. Um, the King of Staten Island, have you seen that? Yeah, that's really good with Pete Davidson. Fucking, yeah. are you kidding? That's, that's a masterpiece right there. Yeah. He captured a family, a Staten Island, and... Peterson, that's that's his name, Peterson, right? No, Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson. Yeah. Pete Davidson. Masterful. He'll never be able to do that again as long as he lives. Yeah. I hope he does. Yeah. I hope he does. It's a brilliant performance, but it was him. Mm -hmm. You know, he brought Peter Davidson, mm -hmm. Davidson, to the film, and Apatow kept him there. Yeah. Um, well, all those supporting characters, too, yeah. like Marissa Tomei and even Whoa, Bill Burr. Yeah. Bill Burr is a serious role in that one. Bill so, Burr, my yeah. favorite. He's, yeah, my he's really good. I like Bill Burr. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> yeah. His stand up is the best. Yeah. But he carried it up. Mm. But Davidson, Jesus, man, I, I escaped from Alcatraz is the closest I could come mm. 
to saying what I did to close as what Davidson did in mm-hmm. the King of Staten Island. Just the rawness, the yeah. truth. Oh yeah. Of his line readings when he questions somebody, yeah, what are you doing? God damn it, man. I've watched it three times. I'll keep on watching. I think it's autobiographical because I think well, it's basically loosely based on his life. Loosely, loosely. Yeah, but it, yeah. it's Apatow and, and two other people wrote it with him. Yeah, but yes, it was yeah. based on his life. That's yeah. why I say, uh, I Peter, I hope you can... But I saw him on Saturday Night Live one night mm-hmm. uh, a couple of days ago, last Saturday. Uh, Gone already. They just uh, slapped it out of him. Yeah, He's getting fat and happy. <laughs> she's <just> dead <laughs> Peter but yeah, I mean if you've never done another thing you you did it man I mean that's that's the narrow area uh, yeah. territory no I mean you know Peter is I, I've never I, I saw his stand up you know he's got a stand up it's great he's totally relaxed he's very uh, you know he's a critical thinker I can't say enough about him. I mean, it just, uh, because I haven't, I haven't, um, because I was sequestered in writing for so long, a year and a half, actually. And I've only now just been starting to watch movies. And mm-hmm. uh, when I, uh, I've seen now five movies. I, I don't even remember their names. But Apatow, I've watched five movies, and one of them I watched three times. Wow. The King of Staten Island. Apatow is amazing in his observance and ability to remember and use real people's real dialogue. Only he massages it. That's not real dialogue. That's the first thing I, one of the first things I learned about writing. Real dialogue is not real dialogue in a movie, but real dialogue in a movie sounds totally real, Mm -hmm. but people don't talk that succinctly in a scene. But Apatow is, is able to capture the essence of real, real dialogue and, and write it down into an arc of a scene. And, and David, geez, I just can't get over it. That's why I watch him as an actor. I watch him as an actor. Mm-hmm. That truth. I mean, that, that, that relaxation of and ease. So, so to answer your question now, now um, there's no other movies I've, I've seen who, who have blown me away, but Apatow consistently blows me away with his his movies, his films, just as films. They, yeah. uh, the closest I can see come to him would be, as far as capturing a, a laugh and a truth of a laugh, is John Hughes, like in Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. Uh, yeah. That would be comparable uh, to the reality and, and the realness of his humor. It trains, planes, and automobiles, and uh, the King of Staten Island. But but the, my favorite film of all time. Now I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but I, I it was up until then. I saw it when I was very young. It's called um, Man Bites Dog. It's a feature, it's a mockumentary. It's not a real documentary, but it looks real as hell. Hmm. Totally real, it's black and white. And it was done by three German film school students in Germany for their uh, senior thesis. 
they made this film and it's a, and you can get it. It's, it's, it's a fairly famous in the underground, but you can Google it. And I think you can get it on the, on the internet. If you just say man bites dog, German. Yeah. Uh, and there's a trans and it has a translation underneath. Uh, I, uh, the three, it was uh, three students and they, they wrote it themselves and they filmed it themselves and they acted in it themselves. And two of them play two German film school students mm -hmm. doing their senior thesis. And the third uh, guy doing the thesis is uh, a drunk in a bar, an obnoxious drunk in a bar. And this is the, the premise. The, the, the two guys walk into a bar, two guys walk into a bar, two film school students, two German film school students walk into a bar and they're, they're drinking and complaining about they don't have a, uh, an idea for, for their film school thesis, for their senior thesis. And they're drinking and down at the bar is this noisy drunk who, who happens to be, you know, one of the students. But he's really funny, man. He's a, this is tall, thin guy. And he's drunk and he really knows how to play it. He's drunk and he's drunk. And they say, what the, what the hell? You know, let's do a, a film about that guy. I mean, he's just, he's so ridiculous and stupidly drunk that it is kind of, well, maybe you could do a film about a drunk, I don't know. So they moved down there and they said, well, let's just keep buying him drinks and see well, what he's so drunk about or find out. So they moved down and they're buying him drinks. One, two, three. And finally, start, they tell you, well, where are you from? Who are you? What, you know, what's your background? What are you doing? And the guy's so drunk and so stupidly obnoxious that he confesses that he's a uh, serial killer. And they go, really? And they go, oh, yeah, fucking I can say he's killed, guys kill people. So they go, this would be a great film, you know, for a thesis. So they keep on feeding him drinks and they go, hey, you know, we're film school students. Wouldn't it be cool to, to be in a movie? We'll make you famous. You'll be famous all over the world. Even if you get captured, this'll, this'll live forever. You'll be really famous. And he's, God, it's really great, man. Wow, man, I'll be famous. And he buys it. So they, they have him sign a little paper saying, you know, hey, you can follow me, I'm a serial killer. And he's so drunk, he <laughs> signs it. Okay, and they, and they get his phone number. The next day they show up, now he's cold sober and they go, to his home, knock on his door. He lives in an apartment house. You go to his door and he, yeah. And he says, remember, oh yeah, I remember you. And, they, and now he's sober and they're confronting him with, they know who he is. You're a serial killer, we know that. So we will turn you in, but let us do it. And you become famous and we won't, you know. We won't do and he goes, I like it. And he lets them. That's the setup. The rest of the movie, is them making a documentary as he murders people. It's incredible. Mm, wow. It's a satire and it's funny, but it's real, man. It's, it's just cool. And it's done, you know, these guys were, I guess, you know, 19, 20 and 21. Mm. And now in all three of them, and the guy who's playing the serial killer is brilliant. I mean, he's really, he's really into it. And not in an over-the-top way. I mean, 
he's real and he's funny and he's a murderer and they're filming it and they really do film i mean they're not killing people yeah. this is a movie and it's fake but you cannot tell there's even they do it's a, i don't want to spoil it they get they get into it and i it won many prizes i mean oh, holy cow but if you can sit through it it's Oh, yeah. We, okay. we watch a lot of films, so that's something we'll, I'm going to put on my check, list. Check it out. You know, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it in about seven or maybe maybe 10 years. I haven't seen it in about 10 years. But up until then, I, I saw it when I was around tw in my 20s, and I would watch it every once in a while up until about 10, 15 years ago. And it always held up, and it always just blew me away. Mm. Uh, you know, I just lost track of it because I was doing other things. So I, I hope it holds up, and it's it held up all the way through, you know, for about thirty years. It was magnificent. So though I gave you three, that you know, if you just watch those three, yeah, you learn how to make films and how to act because there's all good stuff all throughout all all those. But what you can do if you have no money, I mean that that's a brilliant film is no money, and then they Escape from Alcatraz is a brilliant film. Oh, I'll tell you another one that blew my mind, uh, and uh, one that you would never think of. Jaws. Oh yeah, that's a classic. It's obvious. No, classic. Jaws. Is well, it's too obvious. You don't think of it. It's Jaws, man. How good no. could it be? It's so famous. It's brilliant. It is. That's it why is. I have it's to agree. It's fucking brilliant. Man. It's it's incredible movie. It's an incredible movie. And how how it's great incredible. is it to see you now in in 4K HD? It's like it's like you're almost there now. You see everything so sharp and vivid. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, just the camera moves alone. Yeah. Just yeah. the camera moves a little, oh, and the yeah. framing, the camera moves. Never mind the acting and the, the story. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. I just, I, said, yeah, I mean Spielberg, obviously Spielberg. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so those are those those are three. You could spend the rest of your life uh, yeah. if you wanted to be a filmmaker. Just, but there there are others. Uh, another one that I mean, I never, you know, nobody ever asked me these questions. Yeah. But, uh, the, the, another one is uh, that. In other words, how did he? It's so good. How did they do that? I mean, mm. Is uh, the Invisible Man, uh, the, the the one that's now, or just I guess last year. The one. With <clears> Liz did Moss. you hear about it or, or hear the female the one with Elizabeth Moss? Who, who? The one with the actress Elizabeth Moss, the new one. I think so. Where she puts on an invisible suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that man, that is really good too. Yeah. Because it's totally different than all the three that's, that I Yeah, it's I a told different you. take. And you're like shocked because of all these scenes you're like, well, you wouldn't expect what yeah. happens. Yeah. There's nothing happening, but there's everything happening. I don't, I don't think you David know. saw it because he's like, what? He, yeah. No, it's okay. He, I'll check it out. Yeah. Check it's really out. good. It's, it's a new take on Invisible Man. You'd like it. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and, and it's a new take on how to make a movie. Yeah. Because of those scenes. Yeah. Yeah, he has to see it. It's, it's yeah, all in I your was head. really impressed with it. Uh, yeah, I was I was impressed with the fact that he got into my head yeah. that you yeah. are the movie, not yeah. the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's so yeah, I mean I could I could go on, but it takes me a while to think of because I don't generally talk about films I've seen. I just bury it and then when I write a screenplay, I find out, oh man, it's coming out of my fingers. Yeah. Some typing. So yeah, I, I did see it and I did learn something. Mm. But if you had asked me right after the movie, I, mm. you know, okay. Uh, it's it's interesting how 
how writing comes through. If you can just forget, you, you know what I, how I learned? Mm -hmm. Everybody learns differently. I'm trying to, I'm, I learned the guitar oh, at, wow. at, at, an, at an elder age. So you, you're very conscious of learning when you're, uh, as you get older. When you're a kid, you just pick up the guitar and you fool around with it. I mean, you know, you're trying to pick and get the chords right and everything. Mm -hmm. But it's a totally different mindset of learning when you're a kid than when you're older. You're just too self-conscious about how stupid you feel, you know, mm -hmm. not being able to get it like that. <clears throat> but as a kid, you don't mind. You're not thinking about getting it like that. You just want to get it. That's all. And uh, so, but I learned that you can learn faster the guitar if you let your fingers learn, not your mind. Get your fucking mind out. Your mind has nothing to do with music, uh, making music. You, you, you know, you, you show your fingers what to do and then just let them do it. Just don't think about it. Uh -huh. And you can play. And if you think about it, then it's really slow. And you got to, I put my finger here and then there. What are you kidding? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, but anyway, so I, I learned to do that with other things like acting. Get your mind out of it, you know. You can memorize lines faster if you're not thinking about how slow you're learning. Just let it go. Your body is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's the whole thing. It just picks up shit. Like, it, it, uh, you know, you, you watch a movie. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't understand this, but this is how it goes for everything. Mm -hmm. And I, you watch a movie and you go see the movie. You're not thinking about memorizing a movie. You're watching a movie, you look at a story, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, five days later, the guy says, hey, did you see that movie? Blah, blah, blah. And you go, oh, yeah, I saw it five days ago. Wasn't much. I didn't like it. Eh, okay. Oh, no, I loved it. And you go, what'd you like about it? Well, that scene where you go, blah, 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 blah. Oh, that scene? Uh, no, I didn't like that scene. Now, wait a minute. You just saw an hour and a half movie. You know how many scenes there are in that movie? You know, 100, 200, 500 scenes, you know. He brings it up, you know exactly what he's talking about. You memorize it. You got it. You remember the thing when he, hold a, when he held the fork? Yeah, I remember that. Hmm. How did you remember that? You, didn't, you know what I'm thinking about remembering that. That's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It's that part of memorization that's memorization. The other part is just trying. <laughs> There's no try. There's just do. Or not do. That's what he's talking like about. <laughs> anyway, I gotta go. I gotta go. Okay. 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 Well, thank you for uh, taking the time with us. Well, thanks for listening, Jesus. I mean, that's oh, yeah. amazing. I have uh, maybe just one more quick question. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. The, the Friends you reunion is about to be being filmed pretty soon. Yeah. Have I asked you to come on to talk about Friends? I'm, I'm sorry. Say, uh, what was the last they're, part of that? They're filming a Friends reunion yeah. special pretty soon. Yeah. Have they asked you to come and talk about Mr. Heckles? Why would they do that? What's well, a? I think it's a reunion special. Like oh no, they've invited about, me to the reunion. Yeah, but they just said, "Hey, we're having a reunion. You're invited." It's June or June or July seventeenth. Okay. It's June or July. It's a J seventeenth. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, you just, I know it's a reunion, but I don't know. I was just hoping they would invite me because 
Uh-huh. I thought when I left, uh, I left some hard feelings back then. Uh, I shouted at them in public. I know like in the Fresh Prince, they had a reconciliation after they had a bad rap oh, with really? the mom. So I thought maybe, well, you know, went through this, put the water under the bridge and have yeah, everybody, even, everybody that was on Friends, you know, even Mr. Heckles come in this talk and have a uh, party. Yeah. I, I As I get older, I'm starting to think that a lot of these arguments and bad blood and blood, mm-hmm. bad feelings I have about different jobs and everything mm-hmm. was all in my head. I, I've asked a couple of people mm-hmm. about, you know, hey, remember that uh, argument we had about the thing? Mm-hmm. You know, what What argument? Well, you know, you, I wasn't mad. I don't know. Yeah, you seemed like a little out of, out of sorts, but I wasn't mad. And, no, it was all in my head. You know, I, I get... That, that's the OCD, I, I, I guess. I mean, I don't know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents say, well, whatever. I, God knows. But I do get uh, angry about certain things, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think that the other person is trying to fight me or mm-hmm. disagree. And I, no. So I'm, maybe it's water under the bridge uh-huh. and maybe it's just in my head. But, Are you going to uh, tell him you owe me a waffle or a cat? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> but that, I mean that, the writing of that... Mm-hmm part was brilliant i yeah. mean i'm famous for that people and it was like you were you you weren't even really angry you just had this real soft-spoken voice when you were talking it was passive aggressive uh, it was uh i worked a, a, i thought a long time just about where is this guy coming from and mm. that was the key you don't know where is this guy you know what is his backstory i couldn't figure out a backstory that would get me to the place but Mm. it was on the page that's another thing that a great actress once told me Mm. i think it was lucille ball but uh if you have trouble with the part the information is on the page or it doesn't exist you know it's a screenplay the screenplay is well written Mm-hmm. Any question you have about your character is in the screenplay. And if it's not in the screenplay, it's a bad screenplay, or you're just not looking hard enough. You got to, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You know, and I've talked to many directors and actors and actresses after that, and they all pretty much agree. It's, it's, it's on the page. So Heckles was written perfectly well. And I just played what I saw on the page. And that's what came out because I couldn't figure out where he was coming from. <laughs> so thank you, the, the writer. Uh, there, was, uh, there was two or three writers for, I, I did five shows. Uh, Mara Kaufman was one of them, I think. Uh, and, and the one where I was fired, uh, the, the last one I did, where yeah. I died, mm. uh, was written by a, a young first time writer who, who, that was his first assignment, they said. Mm okay, you've been in the writer's room long enough. Um, we're going to give you one. Uh, you write the next, you know, write, write a, a, an episode. Just write the whole episode. It's yours. And you have like a, a month to write it. So when I was killed, I went on the set. That's when I was angry. And I thought everybody else was angry at me. Mm-hmm. I went up to him and I said, you know, did you write this? He goes, yeah. I said, why did you kill me? I really want to know. I want to punch him, uh, you know, uh, because I had done five. That's mm-hmm. a one-off. Mm-hmm. But if you do six, you're a re- you're a, a recurring, and that is a huge mm-hmm. bump. 
and I didn't get it. So I want to know why he killed me. And he, and he said, no, I, they wanted, they needed the, the room. They needed the apartment for Chandler because he had just been kicked out of their apartment. Mm -hmm. And they didn't think, this is really weird, but they, the producers didn't think who, who, were, who had kicked, wanted Chandler kicked out of the apartment mm -hmm. for a continuation of the episodes. They didn't think of where they're going to put him. If they kicked him out of the apartment, he'd have to live in another place, in another building. Mm -hmm. Well, how do they get him each week back into the apartment? That was like too hard a lift. Mm -hmm. So they thought, well, kick out one of the tenants, kick out um, uh, Mr. Heckles. Mm -hmm. Have him die. And we'll give him the apartment because it was right across the street, across the hallway. See, they wanted Mr. Heckles to be close to them so I could yeah. be a recurring. But when they were in a bind and didn't know where to put Chandler, mm -hmm. whoa, the apartment is right next door. He can just come across, put him in chain. Yeah. Okay, so kill Heckles. So that's how I found out how I died. So... Um, so it was just a fluke. So he said, uh, he said, no, I didn't write it. They told me to, but they told me because I didn't know what to write. He said, so they said, write an episode about your favorite friend's character, you know, recurring character. Mm -hmm. And he said, you were recurring. You had recurred five times. So he didn't know about the definition. He said, you recurred five times. You were my favorite character. I'll write it about you and you lived because I want to write more things about you. And then the producers came in and said, Hey, look, we need an apartment for Chandler. You're going to have to change the ending for Mr. Heckles. Just give him a heart attack. <laughs> it's just like that. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Uh, so I said, Oh, okay, well, fine. Then it wasn't you. And that's when I went over and hollered at them and I thought they were mad at me. So, but they weren't. So I got invited back. Okay, I really do have to go. All right. Okay. Thank you, Larry, thank you guys. for taking the time with us. Okay, yeah. thank you for All having right. the time for me. We really had fun, and maybe we'll Let me know it when, it's, uh, when it's on. Oh, by the way, can yeah. I just do a commercial here for the reallarryhankin.com? That's my website. Sure. Go there. There's paintings. Those paintings, you see that painting? You see this painting? Uh, how do you well, do I see that? You go the other way. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. yeah. The one this says, way like, and this way. There yeah. you go. Those are my paintings. you got 40 of them there. You can buy them. You can get these on T-shirts. There's uh, my film shorts are on there. Funny little film shorts I make. TheRealLarryHankin.com. Not LarryHankin.com because somebody stole it and they were holding it as hostage and I won't pay. So I got TheRealLarryHankin.com. Somebody stole my name. How do you like that? That's not fair. Man, that's not fair. It's life. Okay. Bye. I got All right. Go. Thank you. Go. All right. Larry, right, take care. This has been Patrick later. and David with Mad Bros Media with the legendary Larry Hankin. Send me the link. All right. I will. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. What a great conversation. I want to thank again the great Larry Hankin. You want to know more about him? Go to his website, www.therealllarryhankin.com, all in small caps. Thanks again for listening. Till next time. This has been Patrick with the Mad Bros Media Zoom Podcast.